Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And Anne, we survived the full scope of the Toronto Telluride madness, but we still have some information out of that to process because the audience prize dropped on Sunday. And we've talked before about just how much the Toronto audience prize can indicate a movie's momentum going into the fall. Obviously, it was Green Book last year, and it was Let's three billboards the year before that. that. Is. We should, especially because Jojo Rabbit won, and neither of us was exactly. I liked it a lot more movie. than you did. I, I did. I just didn't. I, I didn't know. It was an interesting case of of if the critics didn't like it, could it be? Uh, remember, the critics did like Green Book. It wasn't that they yeah, hated it. it wasn't, it's, it's that it was very it, mainstream and it ended up and it becoming was a, divisive about its content, about the way that it handled well, yeah, also it was, certain um, characters in the movie. It became divisive. It was, it was seen as a surprise of sorts. Nobody really expected well, not if Green Book I to play. It. I saw it and I knew it was going to win the audience. Yeah, more. but I mean, you, well, it's either not that like or we were, stars It born. showed late. Don't forget, and it showed late in the festival. It showed on a Tuesday at, when a lot of people leave and things have sort of quieted down. And the, it, well, it, it I wasn't sort it. of... So it, I saw how it played. So it wasn't a surprise. Right, but that's what I'm saying. You saw how Jojo it played and that's... And it but played Jojo really was a movie, well. But JoJo great. was a movie that at Toronto, I think going into it, there was this sense of this is a real contender. I mean, it, people, you know, the guy makes crowd pleasers. It was an edgy subject matter, but being filtered through a certain lens by a filmmaker who's very playful and stuff. And Let's talk yeah, about of course that. you Let's see talk how about it plays. But... Because it isn't, it is, he did indie, independent films like Hunt for the Wilder People, which a lot of people loved. And he did Thor Ragnarok, again, mainstream Marvel, which a lot of people loved. But this is not a movie we would have necessarily expected from him. It's an art film, and it's it's a it's an absolutely brilliant um, tonal achievement in the sense that he's making fun of Hitler, well, I don't and know. you either it's, go along with I that or you don't. And you didn't. I know. Now I have issues. I have issues with it in terms of the way that it. The, I think the the characters of the Nazis are, are just not particularly meaningful, and I, and I, that that was the fundamental problem I had with the movie. That that side of it never worked, and it's it's essential that it works to carry the movie along as 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 the satire it aims to be. I don't think it's out of sync with the other films he's made in, in which, you know, to call this film an art film, I think negates the artfulness of some of the other movies he's made boy, for example, which like this movie is centered around a young person's performance is, and, and is sort of on the same continuum. And then you have something, the and then, you, but then you have something like what the we do in the actor. shadows, but then what we do in the shadows is a vampire satire with really broad caricatures, basically. So I think it actually is, it synthesizes different things we've seen from him before. And in that respect is a very uh, kind of consistent um, work from a filmmaker who's been trying out different things for a long time. So I do take that seriously. And I think that it's, it's accomplished or at least risky in that respect. I just don't think it's necessarily successful in, in doing what well, it's trying to do. This is it's a not case a very deep uh, where the achievement. critics and the audience are at odds. And, yes, and exactly. that is well, what's interesting critics, yeah. about this. Cause you would think if you had various 
legs of a tripod, you know, that you needed to get to the Oscars. There would be critics, there would be audiences. Uh, in other words, this should do well at the box office, one would think. Um, and then, because it plays, it does play well, and it, it's it's satisfying. Um, and then and then you have the Academy itself. You know, how do they like it? Um, and so you 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 think without the critics, it would be a problem, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be. There are lots of movies that have gone forward and done well at the Oscars without the critics. Well, and the critics, the critical, and the critical conversation around Green Book last year did evolve post Toronto as it screened more. And I'll be curious to see what happens with JoJo as more critics see this movie because that was still a limited sample size. What's interesting no, is, yeah. is that the audience in Toronto is it, you, basically you have X number of screenings, you have X number of people in the screenings. They can only vote for one movie once online for this award, the Critics' Choice Award. And and you you end up with this swath of of people that is very wide. They're they're film fans, but they're mainstream in the end. And that's what makes it similar in effect to the Oscars. And the other group that's oddly predictive of the Oscars is the Critics' Choice Awards, which is the largest critics group national and TV and online critics all together. And it's, it's very um, big. It's the biggest one. So it's most predictive. I think that's fascinating. And Jojo was not a movie that all critics, by the way, didn't like. I mean, I was, I talked to a lot of people afterwards and you look at it, it's, it's just, it's dividing. It's up at about 50 on, on Metacritic, which puts it in the same range as something like Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, Bohemian Rhapsody was a movie that I thought was a really That's way worse. You know, (laughs) on all sorts of reasons. We agree on that. We agree on that. So, so on the Bohemian Rhapsody scale of quality, Jojo Rabbit is basically citizen kane i mean Thank let's, let's be honest here. that, that <laughs> was just a bad movie jojo rabbit i i had philosophical problems with i don't think it's successful in terms of what it's trying to do but i still think that it it's taking some incredibly advanced tonal swings that's correct and i appreciate I it for doing that. that yeah maybe that's enough to carry it along through award season but i, I think well they like holocaust movies. movies now now searchlight so, well, has is it a holocaust movie it, and it never effect, really acknowledges it's a comedy stuff. though so you're talking about you know life is beautiful or the great dictator or to be or not to be or the producers you're talking about a very specific niche that has worked with oscars in the past if it's if it's if it hits the right mark, we'll see. The other, the other movie they have, it, which is more inside the Academy Holocaust wheelhouse, if you like, um, not to make light of it, please, um, is is a, a well, that's what Joe a hidden does. life, a hidden life, which right, which is yes. the Terrence Malick film, which I think is quite quite beautiful. And the other movie and that's was, playing great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, Telluride, Toronto. It's a, it's really picking up. I, I mean, agree. It, it's it, in some ways even even better than Tree of Life in terms of how it because it it's not as it's wacky. I mean, Tree of Life is more my jam, but Hidden Life is a movie that seems to be opening itself up more to people. It's the most accept the most accessible Terrence Malick movie probably since the early ones. No question. So JoJo won the audience prize at TIFF. And we conducted you and 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 IndieWire put out a uh, you you actually reached every single press person who was registered for TIFF. Is that what you did this yeah, time? So the, the decision that we made was Toronto has made a concerted effort to diversify its press corps. So rather than trying to use our own curational filter or whatever 
to figure out who we wanted to participate in this thing, we would go to all the accredited media Toronto and, and let them all have the opportunity to participate. So how many did you have? That's amazing. 322 people. And, and I think what's notable about it is that it's not like as a result, you get really disparate choices or something really random coming up to the top. The, the, fact of the matter is that Parasite won with a lot of support for first place. Well, it pl- it placed in the audience award uh, polling also, which is pretty amazing for uh, for Toronto. Uh, that's pretty amazing for for uh, along with Marriage Story, right? Those were the ones that, right. that played. Especially if, if the for Parasite a foreign language also, movie. That's amazing. Not for the critics, foreign for language. the audience. That's a big deal. And also a movie that, unlike both in our survey in previous years. And in the audience award history at TIFF, this is not usually it's a new movie that's launching that fall. This this movie was relaunching from Cannes and and it's playing that well. So that's that's a pretty dramatic level of support there. And I think it says a lot about how much goodwill there is for Parasite and that the idea that this movie could be bigger than just a best international. Totally. I think I'm going to predict right right here and now that it's going to be a multi-award contender, especially if you have the director's branch, which is very international. I think they're going to go for for both Bong Joon-ho and Pedro Almodovar this year. And that's two slots right there. And so last year, remember, Roma and Cold War both did really well. And I think that what's going to happen is that we're going to see that we have a much more international membership of the academy and parasite could go all the way to best picture and production design and you know things like that screenplay i'd like to see that it would be really appropriate too because when you think about it we spend so much time throughout the year noticing these films on the festival circuit you know we go to Cannes, which doesn't usually have a huge u.s presence relative to other kinds of things so it makes sense just from a representational standpoint that the oscars do become more global we live in a global film culture the academy is more international and frankly these films deserve to be seen in that way a lot of others do too but i'm cool with parasite being one of the significant ones. And and I think once it goes to New York Film Festival and then comes out, you know, this movie's opened opened internationally, not just in Korea where it It's already made a lot of money. It's made like 80, I think it's $60 million worldwide already. And yeah, it's it's open in Paris now. I believe it's doing really well there. It's opened in Australia, all kinds of different places. Everybody likes it. It's universal. There's a lot of momentum there. It's really interesting. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it is. So the other movie that would played in Venice that we didn't see in Telluride or Toronto was uh, Ad Astra, which I finally caught up with at the LA premiere last night. Brad Pitt was working the red carpet like a good boy, even if he says he's not going to do any any Oscar campaigning. He's doing a lot That's of just campaigning to open the movie, which is the uh, which is you know he did a lot to open uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. So he's had a good year. And I, you and I both seem to have had the same reaction to the movie, which was that it was even better than we were expecting. I loved it. Well, it's 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 kind of fascinating because James Gray's work doesn't always it, it, it usually splits people he's always been somebody who you know the french love him but in the u.s his movies never really explode and the thing that's interesting about this movie is that it's i think it really does work in the register that it's going for it's this kind of like operatic space 
drama and it foregrounds Brad Pitt's performance in a movie that is at once intimate in terms of the what he's going through. This guy, you know, traveling through the universe looking for his father, but it's also a space epic and the effects and the the kind of the scope of the of you know going from Earth to the moon to Mars to Neptune, not much of a spoiler, I promise, is it's it's all there. It what's really great does about seem to it, get into that. Yeah, what's great about it is that it gives each environment a new look. I think Hoyt van Hoytema, the uh, Dutch Swedish cinematographer who did Interstellar and, and a lot of other good things he's going to be doing Christopher Nolan's next movie. He is, he did a great job, a great job on this. The one fault I will, um, uh, are, the, the one fault I will give the movie is that the production design was pretty minimal. It looked very low budget in some ways. Some of you know what else I is pretty minimal? To. A lot of the sets, are in space, so they kind of have to be, right? I mean, it's you know. I'm most sure of the he had a justification for it, but I mean, <laughs> that, let's, let's, let me put it another way: that. if Blade Runner 2049 didn't do any business, I don't know how well this one will do. I'm not saying I'm rooting right. against. No, it. I remember that. Brad Pitt I, I mean, I, I live is in a amazing bubble. in this movie, and James Gray was very smart to hang the movie on his close-ups on his performance yeah, although and he related was, a, to the story of the father you can see that he had a close as a relationship geek, I, to it. as a science geek i was a little annoyed by this whole story about brad pitt crying and brad pitt telling james gray you know my tear should be floating off my cheek and james gray saying well, your performance is too good. We're going to leave the tier. I mean, come on. That would have been a much better visual. I'm you with you on that. I, want, I want real science, definitely. Well, the thing is, it's it's not totally... There, there is some inaccurate physics involving travel times and stuff. Of but it, just visually and in terms of how it perceives or depicts the near future of space travel, it, there, there's a lot that actually does kind of resonate. So the thing that's frustrating to me about that. And a lot of Terrence Malick too. But the thing that's frustrating to me about that is, is that I, I think that if, if anything, you know, this is a movie that should be exciting to a lot of different people. It's got a movie star giving one of his best performances in a long time. I think it's better than the Hollywood performance, frankly, because it, it's, it asks him to do something much more internal and much more nuanced. But I also think that it's a movie that anyone who likes science fiction should be really into because it's not, it's not too far out there. It really is something where it's like, it brings you into the world of space travel and gives, brings you to all these cool different locations, you know, Mars and the moon, all, they all feel very different. The moon sequence and, was uh, especially good. I have to say, it's what incredibly they, did absorbing. There, they, they did a lot of, there's a story out today that our, um, that Bill Deswitz did about uh, Hoyt van Hoytema and what he did. And he talks about the moon sequence. It's fascinating what they did to get well, there's that. There's a great shootout. There's this, yeah. yeah, they had to slow it down and they had this extraordinary bright surface of the moon with a very dark sky. And how do you do that? And that's what it looks like. But it was it was a challenge for them to to make that look the way it does. And I love that sequence. It's really good. You know, my sense of, from talking to people is that Ad Astra is not a movie that was denied entry into other film festivals outside of Venice where it played in competition, but that 
the studio didn't really have any value in taking it to them, but it's kind of unfortunate. It may have been where Pr- Brad Pitt wanted to go and what he was willing to support. So, but it's but it could it. have used it could have used additional. I mean, I, I think, think so it would too. Have I think it would have played Toronto. well. I think they would have played well there. And and well, that's a, that's like another question that we need to bring up, which is how much is Disney supporting the Fox Oscar contenders? And I would say that um, they could have done a lot more for this one. And um, they are doing a lot for Ford versus Ferrari, which has a, a lot more um, commercial potential, I would suggest. Ad Astra wasn't well. as slow and lifeless as some of James Gray's movies can be. It wasn't inert yeah. on the screen. It moves. It, it clips along. What you along. call slow and lifeless, I call incredibly perceptive, but I think that I'm maybe... talking about the pace of the movie. I'm not talking about whatever internal, intelligent... Uh, content is there. I'm talking about pace. Pace is not his strong suit, but he did deliver it here. And whatever was ruminative and all the narration, which is very Terrence Malick, uh, worked. It worked here. Because it's a a quest movie that's like, it's lined up in a very specific kind of linear way, whereas say something like Lost City of Z bounces around different kinds of timelines and stuff like that. This movie really does following him. That's what was wrong with that movie. This one is not. This one does what he did well. He did well with this. So coming. So is it an awards movie? I mean, that's really. Cinematography and Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt gives an Oscar worthy uh, best actor performance. Someone was asking me about this the other day. I mean, whether, you know, he's campaigning in some ways for already for once upon a time in Hollywood as as he you know promotes the release of this movie does he become a and contender in both categories yes so of is course. he supporting actor and best actor yes I mean, that that's what be... i'm suggesting and what will happen is that the um the the ad astra performance as good as it is is going to support the supporting actor win that's what will happen well, I'd love to see it the other way around because, again, I think he's actually better in this movie. But fewer people will end up seeing it. It will be tainted <laughs> by its box office failure, suggesting what might happen in the future. And uh, I hope it doesn't. But I'm just saying that's what's probably going to happen. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's unfortunate. But there, there could be a lot of goodwill in the Academy towards a movie like this, right? I mean, it's a technical accomplishment that's also an emotional... They're going to be tougher on it. They're going to be tougher on what we're... I, I, I'm suggesting that the VFX and the production design are not up to par. And, and they're going to be tough on that. Well, that's unfortunate. They'll look at they, it with different eyes. They need to look more carefully at what this movie's really pulling off because it's, it's beautiful. I mean, how often do you see a sci-fi movie? That, I mean, Interstellar was a movie that I think on some level was reaching for what this movie achieves. I like Interstellar too, but I think this one is more successful in terms of finding that balance of hard science and, and emotional, psychological kind of complexity. And that's just gratifying to see, although it may not turn James Gray into a Hollywood A-lister, it's... Um, it's it's amazing that it exists at all. So that's that's something. Anyway, we have a bunch of other stuff around the corner that we should probably anticipate because even though we're out of TIFF, you know, New York Film Festival may not have a bunch of new movies, but it does have The Irishman. And we're a week and change out from knowing whether or not this movie is, in fact, the fall season heavy hitter that it has been messaged to us for such a long time as. What, what do you think is going to happen once this movie screens? Well, first of all, I'm not showing it 
at my uh, sneak preview series because it's three hours and 20 minutes long. <laughs> so that's too long. My series. The running time is still not final, from is it? We don't really know. Until 10. Right. So even though I am dying to see this movie, I'm interested and and curious about the, you know, did they pull off the visual effects and so on? I'm skeptical. Honestly, I am. Because when Scorsese gets lost in the editing room on a movie like um, <laughs> Gangs of New York, among Not others. Casino is better than that. I agree. That's not one of the ones I would, I would, that had a narrative that was propulsive. Yeah, it's long. It's, this, it's three hours it's, long. It's still, sometimes he, he gets lost and sometimes he loses the narrative. So I want to know uh, whether he can sustain that for three hours and 20 minutes. I'm excited about the cast, but I, again, I'm going in skeptical and we'll see it on the same day, which is the morning of the, of the night that it opens at the New York Film <laughs> Festival then it'll, on September and be 27th. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they have a ton of screen and the first screening official public screening of this movie is at three o'clock in they the have afternoon. They like four of them or something. So, yeah, I know. A, All right. So it's and an interesting so gamble. That will but... be, that'll be a big question mark. And then uh, coming up announced today uh, at the AFI is Queen and Slim, which is a universal movie which i'm curious about uh daniel kaluuya is in kaluuya it's is in a there. great trailer i like I, i've said before i don't always watch trailers before i see something but i happened to be in a, in a public screen of something last weekend and it came up and i have to say i mean universal's I've behind it yeah and what's I, yeah, her name I, I think, lena Waite is the is the yeah writer. lena Waite's screenplay i think people are going to be talking a lot about that i've heard mixed things about the movie overall but it sounds like you know the, the story of this african-american couple sort of first date on the lamb first date yeah they and go, then on, they get they go on a first date accidentally kill a cop and go on the lamb become sort of a black bonnie and clyde type of a thing the premise itself is so fascinating. I think it's more, like, think it's more of... like Sugarland Express, you know, that. Yeah. That. Well, I mean, it's all of that. St- I mean, the point is from a representational standpoint, it's taking these kinds of narratives that are playing with kind of the media obsession with outlaws or whatever it is and putting it in this 2019 context. It's definitely going to get people to talk about it's it. It's one thing to be on the run sense. from the cops and another to be running around killing people. I'm just saying Bonnie and Clyde is running around killing people people so we'll right well there they do they do there is a well don't give away too much what's in the trailer i mean that's why i didn't want to watch the trailer but then i did they they get pulled over and they kill a cop by mistake right but are they killing everyone around them on the way out on the on the land i don't don't think so i don't i don't know anything okay i don't know what happens next all right but i am looking forward to it i mean the question is always with with these kinds of films that are kind of late fall season offerings when it gets the AFI slot, is that an endorsement of its award season bona fides or is it just, you know, it's, it was available. It's a good launch. It's a marketing ploy. I mean, who knows what I have to see the movie before I have a clue what its award season prospects are. Um, But then we got another trailer. Speaking of trailers, we got this trailer for the Todd Haynes movie this week. Dark Dark Waters. Waters, Finally titled. So that's a real open So this is a Mark Ruffalo, Aaron Brockovich movie, basically. Mm -hmm. And remember that he was in uh, Foxcatcher and uh, Steve Carell was playing uh, the, the DuPont character. So this is a DuPont movie. 
And I'm curious to talk to Ruffalo about how, because he's the producer. He, he made this happen. And it's a, it's a story about going after corporate corruption and environmental. Yeah, it's a true story. Um, it's a, he was, uh, he's playing this corporate defense attorney who goes after, who basically launches this environmental lawsuit against the DuPont company for the, it's putting chemicals and things and, and trying to cover them up. The thing that I'm curious about is it's not, it's not the most obvious Todd Haynes kind of a movie, at least from the surface. No. In fact, he didn't develop it himself and he didn't write it himself or or anything. This is something that he came upon and, and, and liked and decided he wanted to direct. Um, So he usually doesn't do that. No, this is new for him. I mean, so, so it doesn't feel Todd Haynes idiosyncratic. It feels more like storytelling. It feels more like a work for hire, but hopefully it's better than that. I mean, it's got great talent attached to it. It's just, it's a real open question in that respect. So we'll see, we'll see how that one plays out. And then we have, we have other stuff that we still don't know about. I mean, what's, is Little Women just going to completely demolish everything around it and become the the best movie of the year? Meryl Streep said it's a masterpiece in some interviews. So. Well, I can't wait yeah. to see it. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. I want to see 1917, uh, you know, the oh Sam Mendes war movie. How about that? Cannot wait. Yeah. And then, and then uh, apparently, Eric, by the way, you should know that one will drop in time for you guys at New York Film Critics. Um, are there any films that are not going to be ready in time for you to see them? Well, every time there's a Star Wars movie coming out, that bas- that's basically the assumption. Not that I would expect Star Wars to necessarily be a big winner, but you don't know because it's also there's going to be a lot of conversation around this one being the end of the trilogy and all that kind of stuff, so... I guess that's an open question, and, and we don't really know about Little Women what the situation will be. Oh, that's going to be ready. That's I bet that. One I bet that'll be ready. Um, I will say it's a very very competitive year, I, even with respect. I mean, I, I could see some like a Marriage Story type of movie very easily getting critical consensus. Absolutely. And there's a, there's Parasite, and there's there's who knows what what some of these other films. Well, are those are the be two like, that so. are at the top of the list, along with Once Upon a Time in in Hollywood right now. I would suggest uh, they're the ones that came out of the festivals with the most unanimous support. Yeah, Joker so, still, and Jojo I mean, are exactly. more divisive. Yeah, but I mean, when you sometimes when you have divisive movies, they're in the they're conversation obvious, more. They're in the conversation. No, I had some great debates about Marriage Story, even with people. Yeah. How they interpret well, and, and it. How about Joker? I mean, Joker. I mean, you you wrote a piece not too long ago that it's a, a very serious Oscar contender, and and I've been talking to people about it. So many people haven't seen it yeah. yet, and so are, they're catching are already up kind of with engaged. it. And I'm getting yeah. feedback now, just like we're catching up with that Astor. We're getting people who are catching up with Joker, and they're going, "Oh, it really is good." That's the response I'm getting from a lot of people. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious about the New York Film Festival screening for that one, honestly, because. That it's not a movie that you would necessarily think of as traditionally New York Film Festival. And they very rarely put studio films at all in the main slate. I mean, they, they had Bridge of Spies there a couple years ago. And I, I'm very curious about it because it's not a movie that is uniformly beloved by critics, by cinephiles. It, it gets so many different kinds of reactions just by its very existence. And my, my response to all that is there's the cultural conversation about does this movie you know, get the, you know, some crazy people riled up. And then there's the look at the actual movie conversation. And that's the one where I think you get much more interesting responses. Here's my sense. I do think that there are older um, 
viewers who are actually going to recognize, as I did, uh, the New York that is depicted in this movie, which is like 1981 New York. And it's taxi driver, it's graffiti, it's garbage strikes. It's actually a real Gotham that existed at one time. And it's, <laughs> I think that it's also very much of a 70s movie and people are going to respond to that too. I think it's like but it's Chinatown still, or something, a movie, well, it's a movie not, that's it's not as, really, really violent and still it is telling you something about the world that exists today well, in a I mean, smart there's way. There's a lot of great genre. I still think it's, a, in, to some degree, a genre film. So is Chinatown. Yeah, well, Chinatown is a different kind of genre film. This, to me, is like a psychological thriller with a certain, certain kind of horror element to it, even. There's a horror and element it, that doesn't exist in Chinatown, but I would suggest to you that a psychological yeah. horror thriller, a psychological thriller is what Chinatown is. Well, I, I think the, the taxi driver comparison is, That's is close. definitely more yes. accurate. Well, it's, it, it's an homage it's, to I mean, Scorsese. It's absolutely yeah. a full of it all over. From and, it's King still, of Comedy and it's still legitimate. But, Travis but you have to admit it's... Yeah, but it's also still a legitimate comic book adaptation, too. That's why it's tracking so well. That audience will also like this. I'm movie. not sure they will. I mean, I'm curious I to see they how they're going to respond. I, well, see what They that may feel betrayed. Like, but, this movie could exist yeah, without yeah. being a comic book movie at all. It, it doesn't even have they to go mention see a Batman. Movie, they, it wouldn't they get made. See a movie it wouldn't about, do well. They don't want to see Batman. They're going to... No, they're going to see a movie about the Joker, and and it does deliver that. I really, it's it, and it and acknowledges the future presence of Batman without giving away too much. And so, I think that people will feel like they get what they're paying for in that respect. I'm curious. So, I, I can tell on Twitter that question. there's some people who are already feeling, even without having seen it, they already are <laughs> assuming that they're not going to like it. So let's well, see. People assume a lot on Twitter. Don't they? Anyway, so next week we will record before we get a chance to see Irishman, but it'll be sort of our last chance to kind of survey all of that stuff. Well, we can and, look and at look what's hap- coming up at the film festivals, you know, left. That's the, the New York. And we haven't talked about Kent Jones. Kent Jones has left the New York Film Festival after this uh, last installment, his seventh, and he's moving on to becoming a, a full-time filmmaker. Right. Well, after after this year's yeah. festival, right? right. And did you see his film, Diane? I never did. I never did. Well, I saw his. Too late to catch I saw up. the the uh, the the other documentary that he did. That, that I enjoyed that. But here's the other thing that's going to break this week um, that we'll be able to talk about next week is we'll find out what the French Oscar submission is. There's three final contenders, as we predicted: Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is also playing very well at all the festivals, um, and I think is the one that they ought to submit. Um, uh, just because I think it'll play well and it'll do well. Um, but they've, Kate Erbland wrote a good story about how they've changed up the way that they're picking the movies. And the other two are Proxima, which I never got to see, which I heard good things about, um, which debuted at, at Toronto. And then um, Lage Lee's Les Mis, which was my favorite movie out of uh, Cannes. So all this Oscar talking, you don't want me to tell you about the best picture chances for Rambo? I mean, come on. <laughs> it, it, it's, as far as Twitter, uh, film Twitter is concerned, it's one of the worst movies ever made, apparently. 
Well, it's certainly one of the grosser movies of the moment when it comes to, uh, I mean, people who are worried about Joker and, and what it says about contemporary society. I think the kind of xenophobia of, of watching Rambo go kill a bunch of Mexican caricatures is just really out of sync with what we want to see right now. But I don't think we have to worry about talking about that. I am going much. to skip it. Thank you very much. All right, Anne. Have a good weekend. Until next week. Bye. Bye.